oh shit, it's the feds. Yeah. They've they've infiltrated our protests about Alan Wake. Let me Um uh, did you guys go over all this stuff in episode one already? Okay. Is, Is there anything you would like to share? Oh, what are your thoughts on episode one? Yeah, we can hit a couple things real quick. Uh, I hadn't noticed before that the car from his nightmare is right behind him on the ferry. Um, the ferry represents a mode of transportation that's one way. There's bricks in the tunnel. Obviously, stopping you from going back. Ferry, you can't tell the ferry to fucking turn around. Um, he asked the guy to keep like, it to himself that he's there. Um, the car had his books in the in the back in the trunk, like literally hiding, like literally having a secret um, that it's going to cross. Uh, and that parallels when uh, his wife's car, she has her secret is in the trunk. It's that other book of the doctor who's there. Um, the diner is specifically Twin Peaks, and the one-eyed man has David Lynch's countenance. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's all my episode one. We didn't talk about the shot for shot from episode one from like The Shining where he's uh, in the cabin and Stucky throws the axe through. Oh, right, right. Oh, he even yeah. mentions it too. He even says, this is like The Shining. <laughs> I know it didn't come up last time, but now we're talking episode one. I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. Um, I think I also think that it's interesting like overall as a theme, and this is definitely something I had not thought of before, but in The Nightmare at the very start, like one of the first things that he says is he talks about like how his life would be over if somebody found the body of the like homeless man they killed. And then literally like the entire game, everything that dies, everything that's like taken, their body disappears. Which I mm-hmm. thought is like interesting because he like one of the first lines in the game is like him being worried about a body. Yeah. So I'm going to start off our episode two talk by saying I really got to, like, roll back, me personally, about, like, trying to make everything connect. Like, looking at everything and, like, taking my time to start, like, ooh, there's a shadow from the window. What does this mean? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. That's no, me personally. I, I mean, you guys have a better perspective of these things. Um, no, I mean, I, th- I do think it's funny. I think that it's, like, like, it's the whole idea of like this unreliable narrator in himself is really interesting. I think that it's kind of funny how episode two ends where he's just like, I got to find my wife and I got to find the kidnapper. And then the kidnapper happens to be this same guy who is on the ferry with me who has to abide by the rules that I've written like in the book and stuff. Um, but then he like ends the episode one, episode two instead of being like, Oh, like it's, I've been thrown into this crazy thing and I can't find my wife. And like, I'm really stressed out. Literally, we'll the last to, thing he says we'll, is we'll he's like, "We'll get to that well, in episode two. Yeah, we'll, we'll get like... there. <laughs> Let's start at the, at the beginning. Okay. So, it's episode two, um, it's called Taken. It kind of comes into three parts. We have the call from the the kidnapper. We or no, so we start we start off with the flashback, right? Yeah, we start off in yeah. New York. Yeah, so, we start with, so we start off with a, a flashback in New York. Anyone pick up anything interesting there? Um. Like, I do think, I think that that the scene was supposed to be taking, like, I think you're supposed to take that scene at face value. Like, I think you're supposed to just be like, okay, like, this was a time when, like, they were happy. Obviously, they had some sort of marital problems in the past. So, like, we can compare them and how they interact now, or, you know, we can see how they interact, like, at the cabin versus, like, 
the way they interact in New York. Um, neither really being now, but at least you get like a a change. I also think that like like it, I think that if you look into it too much, though, like there is the idea of like it not actually happening. Like that maybe did never exist. Like it's just kind of this island. Uh, through one window, you can't see anything but storm. Through another, you see like kind of a nightmare uh, duplication of windows that all like either look boarded up or or look red. Like the whole place, behind, the whole room behind it is red. There's like no change. They're just like the same windows. And if you kind of like look closely into any part around the house, like it's got similar problems like that, which might just be like Alawake as far as like the programming that might not be a conscious design. Yeah, choice. it was like 2008 yeah. or something. Yeah. Came out. But it is interesting looking back at it now and like, and like thinking like, you know, if we don't take this at base value, like what, at what point, if any, is there real? And, you know, like if, if there isn't, like what are you supposed to learn from all of these like differing levels of unrealness? Well, what did you think, Ben or Adam? Uh, so I think that the the whole New York flashback served a couple of different purposes. Like Michael said, um, I think a lot of it was just sort of uh, reminding you, uh, like Alan actually does care about his wife, and that they do have like a, a more healthy relationship than is portrayed at the at the cabin. Sort of like a flashback to three years ago when uh, he wasn't suffering from like writer's block or something. It was like coming off right at the end of his latest novel, um, which was the sudden stop. Uh, which, if you read the manuscript, and it was uh, the voice actor who reads the manuscript was also in control. Um, he was the director in control, uh, but he was also the voice actor for Max Payne, and so that was that specifically that ending was their uh, sort of attempt to take back uh, narrative control of what actually happened in the Max Payne series because they don't own the IP, so they can't directly reference it in any of their work. Uh, Rockstar owns it, and they never get to write like the the last game. So the last game that Rockstar put out, Max Payne Three, was sort of like Man on Fire. Um, yeah. But clearly, like Sam Lake wanted to have sort of his last say in, hey, like this is how I think it ends, which is like him bleeding out in the snow, uh, yeah. which is more thematically in line with sort of the other two games. Um, and then also one thing I noticed is that uh, there was a new TV box in the living room, and I, I think. And I think that this comes after another flashback that happens further on in the game, because if I remember correctly, he, he wrecks the TV. Uh, but I don't remember like exactly when that falls in the timeline, so this might be after they had already thought about something. Uh, it also introduces the clicker, which is yeah. sort of like the major MacGuffin and uh, sort of the linchpin of the entire series is, like wraps around. Yeah, I was going to bring up the clicker. It kind of went real quick, and they just, you're right, they just introduced it, and then it disappeared. Like, all right, we're not going to talk about this for a while then, but so set. I mean, it kind of said that Alice was afraid of the dark for a long time. Um, not again. I don't know if it's a design choice or if they had power outages a lot, but uh, their fuse box didn't have a cover on it. Seems <laughs> like maybe they're always yeah. going over there looking for issues, or maybe it was like, hey, oh, here, here's the fuse box. Don't look around forever. Kind of noticed like, that, like, hey, he's just going to the fuse box, and there's no door on it. It was just, it was just open. Yeah. Uh. I'm playing with the commentary on, so like uh, stuff like pops up all the time. And one of the things that popped up like right when that scene starts is they say uh, that it was like a kind of a point of contention to keep those the New York scenes in the game. And like mm-hmm. it, they didn't decide until pretty late in the whole like process to to retain them. 
So there is also that as well, like, because I, I do think that, like, as far as, like, the rest of the game is, is finished and polished, like, there are some things that you can see in the New York scenes that are definitely, like, not polished. So I also like the idea, though, that it is a conscious design choice of leaving the door open. I think that things like that are really fun. Um, and I just think that it'd be a cool, it'd just be a cool note for sure. Like it makes sense. It make it, in the context, it makes sense. Um, any thoughts on New York before we jump back into Wright Falls? One thing they, uh, the, if you look in the office, like when you're going to like, you look, you know, look over the proofs and whatnot, there's a little trophy on his bookshelf of like a uh, golden revolvers, which <laughs> indicates that he's like, you know, been shooting, but like my assumption is that, that helps explain why he's able to use a firearm so well. Uh, okay. Like it, they just one of those little things that kind of. I know that I think they mentioned it at some point that he's only ever shot a gun on the range, but like this just kind of reinforces that he actually is a decent enough shot in order to be able to shoot well in the game mechanics. One thing I do wonder about is is because if you if you take sort of the game as a representation of a manuscript that Alan already wrote, so he he gets the firearm, like he gets the ability to sort of fight back against the darkness after he's already written this manuscript is his ability to shoot well and sort of survive at that level just a reflection of him writing his those own abilities that he has into his story after he's already like written stories about like a dude who like basically max Payne. uh <laughs> so it's sort of like he writes if you read the manuscripts he'll like write about the difficulty of shooting the weapon and how it feels heavy in his hand or how he's like tired all the time and stuff which shows up in the gameplay so it's like well is this Actually, Alan, like, is he actually capable of doing this outside of his own story, or is it just a reflection of sort of what he's written for himself to be the hero? Yeah. It's a cool way of looking at it. I tried to make it out with kind of, you said the titles of the books, and I was trying to see if there's anything else you can get into them with, but not much there. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that the titles in general, like, like there are titles of random books that you can find throughout the game, just yeah. speaking to that, and, like, most of them are pretty on the nose, like, one is, like, faith and continuity or something, um, mm. another one's, like, a hypnotism book, like, just in random, you know, cabins as, as you, like, look around, um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly if there was something more to it other than just, like, kind of readdressing the theme. Okay. Well, I feel like we've kind of worked through that New York scene quite a bit. Um, so I think we can move back into to Bright Falls, where, let's see, so now the doctor's looking at you. you. You've come back from, it's the day after they found you at Stucky's, or you called uh, the police from Stucky's. And uh, the doctor's in the room, and he's just, he kind of finished investigating you, and you have the whole police station scene. So what were you guys' favorite parts of, of that? The police station. Oh man, it's the, it's the Twin Peaks police station. Yeah, it's exactly what I was going to say. It is 100% the Twin Peaks police like station. Like that boardroom looks exactly like the boardroom that they're in when they watch the videotape of Laura and like when he interviews uh, James and stuff. I was hoping to see donuts laid out on the table. Yeah, you know, exactly. Even at like the high-pitched like secretary or, you know, like... Yeah, she's like, she's like lady. nice but a little, a little flighty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I also think that it's interesting that, so you have the, uh, the light lady up front, like, <laughs> clicking the lights, and then immediately after seeing her, you enter a room and the lights are turned off, 
and they, he wants him on, which I thought was interesting because, like, like you would think that in the context of the story, this woman is going around leaving lights on, but apparently, like, I don't know. It's just I just I don't know if they're trying to see something where she's sitting there flipping them right there, and then the next, literally the next room over is somebody who wants somebody to be in there doing that, as opposed to the room that she's actually in. She's checking the whole all the light bulbs for the city. Yeah, that's yeah, what she does. I just, I just thought it was funny that it was like it was just like so close to each other, where like mm-hmm. you actually wanted somebody to be in there. You have to turn the light on, right? You can't just walk by because like I walked by and I was like, oh, I should go turn the light on, and I couldn't remember if you could actually just leave the room without turning it on. I don't know. I'm not sure. I turned I, it on. Too. I turned it on. That. I've always turned it on. I turned it on. I listened to him talk, then I turned it off again. It's like, what did you do that for? <laughs> turn, and then you turn back on because we're all not jerks. Um, <laughs> let's see. I guess before you go in there, you, you can hit up the radio in the uh, the other room, like their CB radio, talking about Stucky's gas station. That looks pretty torn up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if that was you guys or before. Or they're just following up from the night before because it could just be, hey, they picked you up. They're just reporting back. So. Yeah. Um. I think that. So there's this. I, I mean, this, I don't know how much spoilers this gets into, but there is, like, that like, viewing of the game as literally just everything that he is going through is his own insanity, and, like, he's causing everything, and, like, there's nothing evil, nothing scary, nothing at all, like, right? And so, like, it's just him, there's just this dude rolling up into town and, like, causing chaos. And so I think that that's, like, a first sort of, like, sh- marker for that, to say, like, oh, like, the garage looks all trashed. And it's like, yeah, you said the same thing. Like, you know, but nobody else showed up before you, as as far as you could tell, you know? Like, so I don't know. It, I, I thought that was just kind of like a uh, a note to, like, towards your insanity, which I think the cop office in general, or, like, the the whole, like, her, uh, what is what is the captain's name? Sarah? Yeah, Sarah, I think, like, uh, the whole Sarah's office scene is supposed to kind of lay it out that groundwork, too, where it's just, like, um, like maybe you're crazy because she's kind of treating you like she doesn't fully believe everything you're saying. Yep. Which is kind of like um, that story, Secret Window, right? Isn't, isn't that kind of what happened? Yeah. Like, like the narrator is incredibly unreliable in that story. Yeah, and everybody treats him like that, and it's all from his viewpoint. So he just keeps thinking that like the world is against him, and everybody just doesn't like him. But like the reality is, he's a super creepy guy who actually is doing all the things. <laughs> <laughs> like and everybody rightfully thinks he's creepy. Adam, what did you think about what that guy was saying in the jail? Or the, the him in general. That he was like a town drunk. Oh, the um, uh, the drunk guy. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember if if he comes into play at any point later on, um, because he seems to like he is insistent, right? Like almost panicked about the lights being off. So, like he knows that there's something going on. So makes me think that he's aware that there's another, like something in the darkness that's taking people. So he's got some kind of knowledge about what's happening, which uh, I think is kind of cool because what it does is it ends up indicating that Alan Wake isn't crazy because you know this random drunk guy is kind of like he's panicked by it as well. I mean, he never comes out and says, like, you know, there's shit in the dark that's going to kill you. But he, well, I think just, what he does say, so he's in there for beating up uh, Danny, or just some character's name. He says, hey, I wasn't drunk when I fought him. Um, but it also wasn't him. He's like, I got drunk after. He's like, what I, but, I, but what I beat up wasn't 
Danny or whatever the character's name is. Does he say that? He says yeah, you have to hang out like a while, I think, because he goes through oh, like the whole story. Oh. Yeah, I did, I did not hang out that long in that room. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, yeah, then I heard all that. I'm like, what happens if I turn off the lights and terrorize this man? All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you go outside. And I think that's when you get the first call from the kidnapper, right? Yeah. So you, get the, you get the call from the kidnapper when you're talking to the police chief. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but well, he tells you to go outside, find the junker. Uh, there is a radio over here, and this kind of the guy signing off for the night. Um, you also just yeah. give those boards like the biggest kick, just like a superhero <laughs> right? kick. They just go flying. Yeah. And I think the radio too is interesting because um, it is the if if I remember correctly, this is the first time you're hearing him after the time jump. The the guy on the radio. Um, because because the time jump is when you dive into the lake at the end of um, or no like right in the middle of episode one right so you, yeah the, you, you do hear him after the lake um, okay he's on randomly when like the guy calls in talking about his dog running off in the uh, right, 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 right. the dog died by the way Michael what the dog the dog died I found the that out because I'm playing on Nightmare so uh, there are some manuscript pages you only find on Nightmare. And I mentioned it in the last time we were talking about it, but uh, Stucky kills the dog with an axe. Oh, that's sad. That's like the one manuscript page. Before you brought it up, I was going to say, is that the dog that Rusty was, like, mending? Oh, did you notice that dog's dead, too? It's, like, lying right outside the hole? Fucking harsh. So, um, at that point, I guess you're going to get the driver's license from the truck. Um, I mean, I didn't notice anything special kind of at that part. I think it's just, hey, move on. But when you come back in, you there is the video of on wake. Uh, kind of pops up on the TV. Yeah. yeah. So, for reference, play it. A writer is a light that reveals the world of his story from darkness, shapes it from nothingness. The way a sculptor carves a statue from a block of granite. If I stop, the world I'm making dies. Darkness will reclaim it. It's a long, hard journey into the dark. Alice's life is at stake, but I can't think about that, or I'll lose it. The dread lingers at the edge of perception. I'll push on. Anything is possible here. I'll write the story. I'll save her. Lance, what editing? Uh, I went to... Groovy, buddy, you can see I played a YouTube video, then I fast forwarded to a timestamp I had before. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I was, if we're going to record it, I might as well try to, like, you know, play the audio in this rather than send you guys links. Oh, I love that. Boy, yeah, so what'd you guys score? Dave turned down really low. So I'm like, I'm like, is there anything playing? Can I crank it up? So, kind of, you guys, what you guys talked about earlier, this is the first, like, Time that I think he, it's it's coming clear that he's like combating the darkness with his writing. Hey, he has to write the world. And what notes did I write down for that? I felt about it. Uh, it's in writing notes for this one, but it's pretty clear that like he's creating the world, or that his writing is creating the world, and he feels that if he stops, the darkness will take over. Um, again, that can be a metaphor, metaphorical darkness. I'm going insane, as Mike pointed out. Um, or it could just be a kind of the real world creepy darkness he's actually fighting against. So we're all on the same page that these are peaks at 
uh, him in, over the course of the last week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I never thought of that. I just wanted to establish that because I because it, it's also good to yeah yeah because yeah, he's in the cabin he's in the room where the typewriter was well, set up. Well, actually, actually, is that necessarily the case? Yeah. I, so I mean, so the, I have no reason to believe not. The timeline is fuzzy, but there's a series of events that has to happen in the cabin to make a lot of of what happens in the past makes sense. And so the series of events is uh, they get to the cabin. It actually exists. That's like kind of important um, because it doesn't exist later. So it, while it is in existence, they both get there. At some point in time over this week, he writes the complete book. He is visited or at least becomes aware of the darkness in Bright Falls. So either the woman comes and visits him. So and then his wife falls and falls into the lake. And he dives in after. I don't think that he dives in after immediately after. I think that like there's some time there. So you could you could argue that the darkness comes, takes his wife uh, until like he sees it. He goes crazy. He starts writing a book to combat it. Right. So he's writing this book, and he's like, okay, I, I can create this world. He he becomes aware that the typewriter, for whatever reason, or his mind, he can create this world. So he starts to create this world to fix it. And then after that he dives in or he dived in as soon as she went in and then came back out and started writing um, after what he saw in the lake. So but all those things th- had to happen. Oh, here's my well, take on that. Well, right? well, well, do they? Do they, right? Because this brings me back to, sorry, yeah. sorry I have to cut you off. <laughs> yeah. It brings me back to the quote that he starts off the game with. The Stephen King quote, nightmares exist outside of logic. There's a little fun to be had in explanations. They're antithetical <laughs> to the poetry of fear. In the horror story, the victim keeps asking why, but there can be no explanation and there shouldn't be one. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to make any sense. Well, so, the way that I've always interpreted, like, where the cabin actually is, is that the cabin's in the lake, right? Because the island and the cabin don't exist anymore. They got destroyed in the eruption. Yeah, I I believe that the the cabin is in the lake. So, my take has always been that the darkness, like, the dark presence, used the The darkness, was able to get Alice to freak the fuck out, and I, I think she probably, like, rather than get pulled down into the water, like, you know, thrown off the balcony, that she was panicking, running around, stumbled off, went into the water, and as soon as Alan dove in after her, bam, that was it. The Dark Presence had him, right? Because the Dark Presence is in the lake. And so as soon as that happened, um, then the cabin was down there, the Dark Presence was able to force him into the chair, get him to start writing with the promise of, oh yeah, just write this story and you'll get your wife back. But then as he's going through, he realizes that that's not what's going to happen, so he has to try and weasel his way out. So the cabin is in the lake. like. But the lake, it's not a lake, it's an ocean, right? It's not an actual lake. It's like this other dimension that kind of like the surface is more like a portal, right, between the two? Yeah, that, that's how I always looked at it. I'm going to make you a get, note, note here. I think Alice is real. Because uh, <laughs> there are definitely reasons to, to sort of doubt or, or confirm a bunch of things that we just said, and I'd like to revisit oh, yeah. it after, after we finish the game. Because when I, when I started playing well, it, please, I actually... Please note these down. This is great. I love it. I, when I started playing, I actually, uh, I had continued game, and I was at the final boss of the first time I played through. I was like, well, if I'm already here, I'm just going to do it really quickly, because I don't want to like lose the, the trophy that I was about to get. So I played through, <laughs> so I saw like the very end of like, the second DLC, and reminded myself what happens there. And so we'll, we'll revisit this conversation after we do that. Because uh, there are things that happen there that I think are, are like really interesting, sort of in context of the conversation we're having now.
Okay, cool. Um, also, uh, like, sorry, just uh, piggyback on what Adam was saying. Um, the there there is an interesting idea of with the cabin being in the lake. I think that talk. I mean, I think that you you can talk about movement of the cabin, where it's like, is it is it on in? Is it moving around? Like, does it exist here and then somewhere else at another time? And like the bird aspect of it is obviously supposed to invoke like a Baba Yaga hut. Um, and so like if if you go down the road of that metaphor, like Baba Yaga sometimes means like like mid midwife or grandmother. And if the widow the the widow uh, funeral you know is representing that, like then she steals you know Alice, and then the cabin moves because it's like on bird legs. And I, in the commentary, they specifically say that originally they wanted the cabin to have bird legs and they wanted it to move uh, throughout different parts of the game so that it wasn't always at the lake. But then they decided that they liked the lake better and then instead of making actual bird legs, they put it on bird uh, footprint. I'm so glad and then they put the commentary on for that. Yeah, and then they put wings on, on the edge. Like the, the double uh, balcony is supposed to be wings around the face and then the, the extra chimney is supposed to be beak. And it's called like bird... Bird Island, yeah, Bird we were, Island cabin. Yes, we were way on top of this. Yeah, so like they specifically say that like they they originally wanted to have repost. these these roots coming out that look like bird legs, like a Baba Yaga. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that is like definitely on the nose of like what they're going for. Um, I I think that if we look we look at Adam's interpretation, just to end it, if we look at your interpretation, I think that the actual game as far as like where we're starting to see what's what's actually happening doesn't happen until the until the car crash after he dives in like up until that point that would mean that like that nothing up until that point was was the reality that was just the book of him like inserting a, an explanation up until that point that that made sense as opposed to what was actually happening and then the you know the car accident happens he wakes up Alice is gone and like you know he goes from there and whenever we talk about the lake, right, it's in the lake, the darkness in the lake. Um, I, You know, it's cauldron-like. So there's so many things that go with the word cauldron. Yeah. Whether it's witches or sorcery or just kind of it seems like a bad bad place to be. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so you leave the jail and then you run right into Emil. Oh, not yet. Oh. You run into Emil. I just love Barry. <laughs> Barry's great. Barry game. Uh, let's see, did I put his name here? Emil Hartman. The, he was the on the book in Alice's trunk, right? Yes. Yeah. One, th- one thing he mentions is, so Alice says she talked to him, and he's like, he emphasizes, we talked multiple times. Multiple. So, <laughs> and, you know, I think it's kind of in the, the beginning, it's like, hey, while we're here, let's go talk to this guy. And I think during this conversation, it's pretty clear that the whole reason Alice brought him here was for his writer's block. Right. Like this, this was all a ploy just, just to get him here for that. I mean, what, so why do you think Alan gets so angry? Um, Punches him, like, instantly. I think, I think there's a couple explanations. Number one, I think that this guy kind of acts like a celebrity doctor, which he sort of is, obviously. Um, and it just pisses Alan off just for some particular reason. But I think that the one that makes the most sense in the context of it is that we are seeing more of 
probably what is causing some of their issues. Like Alan has his own issues in the in the relationship, but it also seems that that where Alice comes in with with like her problems is that she's manipulative, right? She she does this whole thing. She buys the typewriter. She brings it up explicitly to go to this doctor. Um, like that, all these are like pretty big red flags for right? somebody who's manipulative in a, in a relationship. Like we don't get to see, I think, from the same aspect like what Alan does beyond like his obvious anger. anger. Yeah, like yeah. I th- I think that there's probably more th- to it than just his anger. Um, I don't think that you you start doing these big manipulative like trips if it's just somebody who's angry. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't know if I'd use the word manipulative, right? I mean, maybe she's trying to help. I also yeah. think. The, the way I've always kind of looked at it, so first off, it's she didn't buy a typewriter. If you remember in the in, when you go into his office in the flashback in New York, it's the same typewriter that is in the cabin at that point. So she just brought it along, essentially. Um, but also, I so I feel like the reason why he snaps and just punches him is that he blames Hartman for them being there to begin with, right? So, like, yes, it was... It, yeah. I think the implication is that it was uh, Alice's suggestion that they go, like, pick this random-ass place to go. Like so, she definitely did manipulate things to get them to this place where this, you know, doctor is. Um, but I, I don't think it was done out of a sense of like, I think I think it was done out of like the more altruistic, like you know, trying to help writer's block, blah blah blah. But also as somebody who has had writer's block, it's one of the most fucking frustrating things in the world. And when people keep pointing it out, it makes you somewhat angry, especially if you have like that Alec Baldwin kind of temperament already. Because uh, like even Barry like you know mentioned something about like that thing with the reporter or the paparazzi or whatever so it sounds like he punched you know a photographer at some point yes i was i was leaning to that a little bit that he was angry or embarrassed about his writer writer's block especially coming off the video where he's like i need to write to save her he can't he's like it's frustrating maybe it's embarrassing i don't know what it feels like to be a professional writer with all this fame and fortune you can't put pen uh, you can't put like pen to paper if that's like uh challenges kind of who you are and maybe he's just like i don't need this i don't know why i need to come see this guy like i'm fine i don't have an issue writing i don't have any problem and it's like oh she hasn't just talked once this wasn't just an idea it's becoming clear that this is why they were here but the way i kind of equate it is like it's like having erectile dysfunction right it's like you're embarrassed about it you're angry about it you don't want to admit that you need help and you don't really like other people bringing it up right yeah yeah and there's this doctor who's like take this pill at my hospital, and you'll be fine. Let's go back to the Cauldron Lake Lodge. Let's go back to that, this lake. Uh, and then after that, we get Barry. Barry comes oh, there. Like, wait to see my lawyers, you yokels. Uh, just like the best, like inner city doofy lawyer who probably would be played by like uh, George from Seinfeld if this was a movie. Yeah. Or Newman. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the commentary they specifically talk about how happy they were with him because they were like, what was what was really interesting is that I could write really dumb lines, like really think, things that like I wouldn't feel comfortable saying myself, but the voice actor would just take it and run with it and make them his own and like say them in, in just the right way that they sounded not only like good, but they sounded smart or they sounded like very fitting. Um, he was just—he just felt like really, really comfortable with like the way that that voice actor took over that role, um, which I think is a pretty apparent in the game. Really, really funny. I like Barry a whole lot. At that point, it was the secretary that tells him where to go for the cabin, right? Says so like, "Don't go to this. This one place is junky." The uh, 
I forget the name of the the center. The camping oh, area. Oh, we go to the Elderwood. It's Elderwood. Yes. Yeah. It's like the park. Okay. Um, and they go up there. They see Rose coming out, and she kind of says, "It's weird she brought coffee to Rusty." And there's a lot in the manuscripts about those two. Yeah. They have a off-screen sort of will-they-won't-they romance, though it seems mostly one-sided on on Rusty's part. He really wants it. Um, she's like what? a teenager. <laughs> One thing about the the Elderwood, I don't know if again if I'm reading too much into everything, right? It's this oldness, and there's this kind of like a long history there, and then all you go in there, and it's the first thing you see is this fossil of a mammoth. Other jump ahead a little bit in the kind of story, you see the tree that fell, and you see this log with all these things cut. And I'm not sure if there's any connection to it being old, having this kind of darkness. Or if I'm just saying, like, if I'm no, just reading into everything. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. Um, there's there's a point. I think it's in episode one in the commentary where they talk about the darkness um, as far as like some style choices. And this is just like, I think a supporting statement to what you're saying. It isn't, but they say that that at one point in time the darkness uh, enemies used whatever the hell that they that they would have like in the game and so they were like a lot of people had guns like because it's a lot of them are, like hunters or like woodsmen and they said that they they realized that they didn't like the way that felt like they didn't like the way the gameplay felt and then they realized that story wise the darkness is supposed to feel old and so they were like the the dark presence wouldn't make use of of weapons like that it would make use of like melee weapons of, of weapons that are close just because those would be something more familiar um and they're also like a little bit scarier in general it's like like it, it's it's a lot different to like use something that has, that has to hack somebody apart as opposed to just kind of point and shoot it's more like primal or like uh aggressive yeah at that point you're talking to rick i forget his name now i just said it rusty Rusty. You're going to rusty see him with the dog. Got caught in a bear trap. A few of those a little bit later. Um, then him and Alan are talking. You go and you get the form. Well, Barry's just convincing you that, man, these guys are, like, dumb. Uh, but, like, everything's in your head. Yeah, um, but a- anything you guys picked up from those discussions with uh, Barry and Rusty at that point? Anything are you high? Are you taking drugs? Have you been drinking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's just sort of establishing, like, what's going to happen next. Because, like, Rusty will talk about, like, uh, people in the forest who are out there and they've gone missing. Like, they haven't come back. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, like like you said, with the bear traps and everything. And then, um, like, I forget when you start finding manuscripts, but you definitely... I think it's after the, the next cutscene where, where it cuts to after you've been in the cabin for a while. But it's not long before you start realizing something like bad is about to happen to Rusty. Like, even before you get, like, a hint in the game that anything bad is happening to Rusty. Manuscripts only come out at night in the darkness? Uh, uh, no. There's yeah. a, I th- I'm pretty sure that you get one at the PlayStation, like, in that empty lot. Okay. Yeah, um, you do. Yeah, it okay. was, like, one of the Rusty and, and Rose ones, I think. I forget which one it was. I played that part a couple of days ago. But yeah, so not yeah. just at night, um, but they are, you know, it's kind of scattered throughout. And also, I mean, the police station too, they also have like the missing persons posters that are up on the wall that you can kind of look at and it'll be like, you know, these three people have been hiking and missed their check in date, blah, blah, blah. And, like, there's a number of like missing, and I think a cat, like a missing cat poster. 
Well, let me well, let me read the cat one. I don't think. I think maybe I saw the cat one. I got to read yeah, the. You just look at it. And you're immediately more concerned for the cat than the people. At least I was. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I, I guess at that point you go back to the cabin, right? I'm kind yeah. of. I'm, I'm, get, I'm reading the. Over the the story now. You go back to the cabin and they sort of establish that like, okay, I'm gonna go and meet this this kidnapper because he thinks that he has his wife. Yeah, at Lover's um, Peak. Yeah. At Lover's Peak, and and Barry's gonna stay at the cabin and sort of, of wait and and see what happens next. And if Alan doesn't come back, he's supposed to you know call the police or whatever. I do want to point out the vehicle that Barry rented is a fucking giant yellow Hummer, and it's so perfect for his character. <laughs> like, helps kind of establish his character. It's like this is what I would drive if I came to like small town Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, for the rental company for having one, you know. Put that on the ferry. <laughs> over there. Just imagine the effort to get yeah. all the way. It's like the one time in the game they missed some good product placement. Summer. <laughs> uh, it's also not long. I think it's right after we get control back to uh, start heading towards Lover's Peak that we we watch the next episode of Night Springs, which is one of my favorite ones. Uh, the man in the mirror. Man in the mirror. So you, you wanted to talk about what happened in that one? Yeah, so I mean, uh, it's sort of like you have, uh, they're in a police interrogation room, and uh, the policeman's sort of being like, you know, you beat this dude until he was basically, uh, you know, we couldn't ID him uh, <laughs> at the soccer game, just randomly, but then they ran the prints, and you were, uh, you have like the same set of prints. And then also, uh, like, your son who was with you said that you were wearing a different colored shirt, and this guy was wearing a different colored shirt. And uh, all of this sort of hints at um, the stuff that, not only the, the duality sort of between the people who are being taken and sort of, like, their dark selves, uh, but also um, Alan Wake's own dark self that we'll eventually meet, who's Mr. Scratch. Is... Uh, so sort of, like, a, introducing that concept to the player through, like, this very pulpy, um, you know, Twilight Zone TV show. Also, and, oh man, I can't wait till we get to Mr. Scratch. I'm so excited about that. Sorry, quick note, no, no, you're fine. Quick note on the Night Spring stuff. Uh, it, Night Springs is the first on-screen sign that you see. Episode one, if you go straight instead of turning right towards the lighthouse, it says "Welcome to Night Springs." It's the very first like written-out sign that you see. Is it for the TV show, or is it supposed to be like Bright Falls, like? Yeah, it's like the opposite of Bright Falls is in your nightmares, Night Springs. Okay. Actually, yeah, because spring, water comes up from the ground, fall, like waterfall. Yeah. Night. Which they do, um, they do reference that also in, in, the, in um, the sequel game, like the small DLC one, uh, because Alan got his start like writing episodes of this TV show. Yeah. So after that Man in the Mirror episode, On the Ground is where I saw like a shadow of light of a woman with a, a white dress. Next to it was like a splatter of blood. I tried to take a screenshot with my Xbox, and for some reason, it didn't come up at all. That, but... I kept trying to look for shadows. That's that's interesting. Sorry, so, I, I'll go back and I'll thing... try to replay that one. Uh, I'll see if I can get a good, better picture for you guys. One thing that was kind of cool too, and I I don't think I've ever noticed this before, of all the times I've played it, but like when you're in the like some of the other cabins, like you know the one where you find the TV and whatnot. I like just kind of saw some movement out of the corner of my eye. I look over at one of the windows and you just see a take and just like slowly walk past. And I was like, holy shit. Like it legitimately spooked me. And uh, I'd never noticed that before. Which I thought it was kind of cool that like even while you're there, you're still kind of being watched, you know. In general, they, they neglect to ever attack you indoors though. And then, actually this is an episode where I, where I spent most of the episode being like, oh, it's really interesting how the combat design sort of prevents them from ever like 
putting a take in like inside of a door like they might put a zombie inside of a door in, in resident evil like waiting for you to walk into a small room uh, but that's also lampshaded, like, literally at the end of this episode <laughs> because a dude bursts out of a, a bathroom stall. Speaking of bathrooms, uh, every time we get a key, it's from the men's room. All times, men's room. That's where the key is. Interesting. Japanistic. Oh. You know? Back to Rusty. We, we neglected to mention he read a page, and this is exactly what happened. He says, hey, I read a page of the manuscript in my office. And what happened here, where he got kicked back, um, is exactly what happened. And then the manuscript that kind of references that too. Well, it's not the only time during this uh, episode that a character reads about themselves, right? Because like when it you is up... the first time in the story, right? Yeah, it's the first, it's the first time in the story that this happens, I believe. But it's not the first. Uh, but it's not the only time uh, that. <laughs> right, because the kidnapper specifically says the kidnapper specifically says this is how it plays out. Like, yeah. like Alan keeps asking, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And the kidnapper's like, you, do, you don't catch on quick, do you? Like, he's just like, every everything he says is, is a reference to, we're just playing out the part. Like, I'm just doing what you told me to do. I think we could probably jump to there. I don't know if there's anything in between um, just kind of navigating in the world. Yeah, so I mean, like, navigating through the woods, I think, is was really fun. Um, you know, you get like that very uh, disorienting screen effect when you're like going further out from the main path and it feels like the mm-hmm. shadows are closing in around you. Uh, it makes it like really easy to feel like you're getting lost in a, in a huge forest, even though the actual like playable area is pretty small, uh, which I thought was like really cool. Um, and then you get like the interesting like bits of town history and stuff just from like the setting. Um, there's like, I think there's a, a cave that you find like one of the, the, bar- the supply ca- caches in. Yeah, the Moonshine um, Cave. Yeah, which was just like for like bootleggers and stuff, but it's like all stuff that that sort of lends to like the history of the town, uh, in this like national forest area. And also like you get um while you're doing this whole thing, while you're, while you're walking through this whole uh forest, you're getting bits and pieces of the manuscript that are teasing, uh, what's happening with Rusty. Um, sort of it it it'll tease combat or like danger coming for Alan. Uh, which is really interesting because it like builds tension because you know that something's coming, but you're not sure exactly when it's going to happen because uh, you're kind of getting them like slightly out of order. Mm-hmm. Are you going over there? You get a lot of the visual effect of the fog swirling around you, and to me that just kind of reminded me of the tornado from the initial Nightmare Dream sequence. And maybe you yeah, know, I, I'm, that's probably pretty obvious that things happen there, some sort of swirling or a callback to that. But when I first saw that, it reminded me of that. There's, there's also, there's, oh, sorry, oh, go ahead. I was just, towards, like, you're talking about the manuscripts, like, and reading them, like, right before it happens, and then those are specifically exactly what happened. The narrative designer comments on that, how he said that he was really, really tempted to make the manuscript less um, literal. Like, he, he want, he was, he's like, there's an early version of it where a lot of the manuscript pages a lot more, have a lot more metaphor in them. Um, but they realized that they didn't have a lot of space. Um, and there was a certain like percentage of players who wouldn't read them anyway. So they were like, why don't we just make it super literal so that it combines with this theme that we're looking for anyway, where we just are like, okay, this is a prediction. So like, it's a little bit more like obviously prediction. And also we want to reward the players who sit there and read them because it's a really good feeling to read something and then it happens. <laughs> it's like, it just kind of feels like you're discovering it. Which I thought was an interesting take, where you know, if, if there might have been like another version where the manager pages were, you know, less like 
less exactly what's on screen. And, and I'm glad they were very short. So many times you get these games, and it's like you picked up like paper, and it's like a three-page novel. And I will like, say oh that that God. control sort of falls exactly into that, but the the writing is so enjoyable in that game that I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that with Quantum Break thus far too. Anytime there's like an email chain or something like that, I'm like, oh fucking Christ! I also just like the idea that Alan's not a, not like a super great writer. It's like very literal. It's outside of the genre that he's used to writing because he like writes hard boiled fiction, like hard boiled detective fiction. Do you know why he says the reason why they're short is because they, they, he mentions that they had to be short because it was on consoles and they did like a, they had done like a study or, or like a, they'd seen a study talking about like resolution on console screens. And they were like, that was like the right text size. And so that was as much room as we had. Like, he was like, I wish that we had way more room. I wish I could have written like way, way, way oh, more. No, but we were stuck. He was like, well, perfect. we were stuck with these. And it's, it's so funny too, because, because the first comment you guys make is that in the later games, they have so much more room. So they immediately use it. <laughs> like, yeah, like, people have that. nicer TVs. Yeah. <laughs> like man, I love not having that much. I was like, this is great. I don't have to do anything. This is, you know, it's not not that bad. He even we reads did. it to you. There's like we, no actual oh, yeah. reading required. We did uh, uh, jump past the part where we actually kill Rusty though, uh, which I thought yeah. was very sad. Like I, I yeah. thought he was a really nice character, and it was sad to read like sort of uh, his last moments, like the last things he was thinking about um, before he died, like in the manuscript page. So uh, yeah, that's that's a question. So like. My initial take, and, and I don't I don't know how I feel about it now, but like I remember playing this before, and my initial take was not that you were actually killing the person, but you were killing the like doppelganger, and that was reinforced later by Mr. Scratch being separate from you, like, and so and because the bodies disappear and they aren't like left there, I I always kind of read it as you weren't actually killing the person, like the person was already dead or gone, and their body is somewhere else. You're just killing like the darkness shell, like projection thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's more or less the the take that I have. It's just like they they have they're already been they've already been taken. Like there's nothing sort of left of them apart from like their base instincts or like their base personality, which is why they like repeat you know random things that they might have said to you or might have said to other people, sort of related to their profession or or things like that. Again, um, as a hazardous op- occupation. I always thought of it as like uh, them being possessed, right? So like, you have to mm. beat the body down, and then the darkness literally like takes over, and so it's still their body. Um, mm. But I mean, I don't know how that would explain away like the you know disappearing body thing. Uh, just probably game mechanics for sake of processing I, I, power. I think that it's but, sort of like a, a a tiered approach because we also, I mean, later on in in this episode, we see that that Rose is also possessed, but she's not somebody that I remember you have to uh, kill in the game, and she's not like fully taken by the darkness in the way that Rusty is. It's just like you can kind of be like touched by the darkness, where like you might be um, possessed or like influenced by it. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, uh, this is a, a totally, it reminds me of the comic uh, Outcast where they have a similar thing where like the darkness possesses people and it can be literally beaten out of them. Um, mm-hmm. It causes them to like do certain things, but also like when the darkness is beaten out of somebody, like it can take on different forms like that look vaguely humanoid. Um, but I did want to mention, again, in the commentary, we can thank the voice actor for... Um, Sucky, for the fact that we have any voices whatsoever for any of the darkness, because they had given him lines to say, 
as as a taken and then they liked it so much that they used it up for everybody else because he was so creepy and they're like this is such a great idea everybody's gonna have a voice now oh that's cool and it was really good like it's a really cool effect and it's like extremely unsettling yeah. uh, especially like depending on sort of the things that they say and the, and the way that they'll sort of try to needle in talons like insecurities or like his weaknesses um it's good stuff I take um, it, Ben, are you the only other one who's playing with the commentary on? Uh, I am I am playing with commentary on. I started after the bird cabin, so I actually missed that entire part. Because uh, we had that entire conversation ourselves, so, like, mission yeah. accomplished on their part. <laughs> like, it was very clear <laughs> exactly what they intended. Well, they even uh, mentioned it in that uh, chalkboard picture from Quantum Break, which I do want to mention, I think it's really cool, because I'm assuming it's almost like a literary studies class, so it makes me think, like, maybe Alan Wake is, like, a novel, but then there's other parts in the game that are, you know, that they write, like, they actually have some of the books written by Alan Wake that are lying around, and Night Springs references, and Bright Falls is a place, so maybe it's, like, a true crime thing, I don't know. But they do, like, the whole breakdown of the Baba Yaga thing as well on that chalkboard. I spent probably, like, 20 minutes just staring at the fucking chalkboard. Nice! <laughs> so, uh, it's yeah. really good. It's, like, very good world building. Yeah. yeah, this could be like oh. a full a full year of recordings of us going through all the remedy games. <laughs> um, okay, okay, we've kind of talked about the fours. We talked a lot about the the Taken. I think this was the first time they've been called the Taken, right? Yes. Okay, so they were called the Taken. Uh, you get on this janky ass cable bridge. I have no idea if those things exist, but I would never take one in the middle of a forest. <laughs> yeah. Oh exist. man, they do exist. We used to have <laughs> one uh, right up the canyon that I live yeah. by, but Ned Lynch took it out. Yeah. But, not late 90s or something like that. People actually operate them themselves like that? You just go push a button and it comes to you? Or is there uh, some part that out, there no. should be somebody operating that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> you, you cross there, it crashes, um, and then you meet the kidnapper. Is that is that it? Right when you cross yeah. and it falls, yeah. Yeah, so you wake up and he, and he helps you up. He also protects you sort of from, I think, like two or three Taken that are there at Jeez, the moment. Such a bad shot. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the guy from the boat. Oh, so the guy from the boat. Mike pointed out, you know, he's like maybe the most aware at this point, clearly to you of what's happening in your well, role. That's because I don't world. think he's a real person. I think he's an invented character from the book that you bring it that Alan writes into the story to make sense of Alice being kidnapped. I think that I think that there is a a real Bright Falls. It doesn't. It might not even be called Bright Falls. I think that. There's a real town, and there's a real lake, and, and, and those things exist in reality. But I think that his book has overwritten its reality over it. If you took, like, a you know, like a photograph and then kind of, like, photoshopped your own junk over it, I think that's what we're dealing with. And I just think that that particular character happens to be one of the ones that's totally fake, just totally out of Alan yeah, Wake's book. Interesting to me, because I sort of saw it as the opposite way, where I feel like Alan comes into town and is still in reality, and after sort of, and like he's, he's creating a fictional story of Bright Falls based on like the handful of people that he met already. Mm. Uh, it's sort of like everybody that I've seen so far that's important to the story is somebody that he met on his first trip there. He met the, the guy on the, on the radio from the boat. Uh, he met Mott on the boat. He met, the, he met Rusty and Rose in the diner. Uh, Barbara Jagger was in the diner. The two uh, Odinson brothers or Anderson brothers were in the the diner. He knew of Emile Hartman because of a conversation with Alice. So, like, everybody that's sort of been introduced was already introduced in the first, like, 15 or 20 minutes of the the game. With the exception of Sarah Breaker. 
I know that she yeah. was referenced at some point in the first chapter. I forget where exactly, but like she's oh, yeah, that's, the that's only entirely one. true. It, but I mean, even Barry, like you know, calls in and like texts and whatnot. So he's established right at the beginning as well. But I, I almost feel like Mott is a character who is who is a real person, but now he's functionally aware that he's being used as a character in someone else's story. Mm. And so well, that, yeah, that immediately makes him sort of adversarial to Alan, who he thinks is like, well, now you're like in control of this and like you need to do something to fix it. Yeah, I wrote down that he felt like a, like a Matrix character from like the Matrix, like an AI character. I was just annoyed with Alan. Like, like, cool. like, like you should know this. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, yeah, this is your play sh- your part, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, you have all it's the answers. The, like, that's just how the story works. Like, do your job. Like, why am I here? <laughs> yeah. It's definitely like a real, uh, sort of like a real mind bender for like trying to figure out sort of like what he knows. Why he thinks that telling you that he has his wife is is gonna? I mean, he knows because that's who you're looking for. But like, there's no chance that he ever had anything to do with Alice. Right. Yeah. His goal is to tell you to finish the story. Yeah. I agree. Finish the story. And maybe you know what? Because on the boat, I I kind of noted last time the story and the thing that said, "Oh, hey, he's behind you." And you guys said he's muttering insults to Alan. So maybe think like again, the AI character. He's like, "God damn, I'm here." This is good. Like, why am I here? This is already going bad. Like, he knew from that point. This is like, this is going to be a, like a pain in the ass for him. Right. I mean, and and also like, I think that's an interesting perspective too. Because what if you're stuck in that situation where you're like, I'm this pawn, and God not only is equally as intelligent as me, he also is obviously some suffering from some sort of like mental issue <laughs> and like he needs to go to a doctor and it's like you're sitting there like I have more I am more competent than God. And like now I just have to sit here on this fucking ferry with him yeah. and play this fucking part and he's gonna forget because he's an idiot. Yeah. And, and like, but he controls the world. So, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Now I'm just imagining a story if God had writer's block. And this is I also like the first lot. time that you get the flares, which is like maybe one of my favorite game mechanics of all time. Like that slow motion shot you get when you pull it wow. out and you're surrounded so by cool. oh, yeah. oh, it's so good. That's one thing that stuck out of me. Even though some of the graphics are dated, um, the theme and the directing and the art style just hold up. And I was playing with mm-hmm. headphones on, and man, there are voices and noises going like nonstop. Oh, the sound direction gets, is incredible. Oh, it does yeah. some very loud things too, which I was surprised. I do not remember how loud it would get. Yeah. Well, so um, you guys, you guys in general fluctuate a lot too, where it's like some things, depending on if you're looking at them or not, will immediately go very quiet. Like, yeah. Unrealistically so, but then like something else would be like just super fucking loud, and so you have to like constantly adjusting the volume as I'm playing to like try and avoid blowing out my eardrums or a lot of my <laughs> you know housemates. Is there anything yeah. to uh, the kidnapper taking kind of control, not giving Alan the gun? Like, hey, you're at my mercy uh, a little bit. Like, you you have to go do this, and I'll be the one to save you. Anything to that, or again, is that just more of a hey, let's explore some game mechanics? With the floors. Um... I mean, they don't mention it specifically in the commentary beyond the fact that they just wanted to have a sequence where you were forced to deal with just the light. And um, but but I mean, I think that is an interesting point because because you're like a lot of the game is about like exerting control, and this is like a sequence in which you are forced to give up like autonomy, um, and it's also specifically to a person who's already exerted according to you, their control over your life by kidnapping your wife, which is, like, pretty much, like, the ultimate, you know, 
like when you're like literally taking away some person's uh, ability to act, like you're a kidnapper. So in this way, like not only did he kidnap his wife, but you're also kind of playing through another kidnapping of sorts as he, you know, works his way up to the uh, to the lover's peak um, mm. before you guys are knocked, you know, knocked off. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's more there than than that. I mean, that's just the stuff that makes sense to me on the tin. It is an interesting idea, though, because if Mott is, like, a knowing pawn in all this, like, he's just doing the role that he has, like, then to an extent he's not supposed to go on the gun, right? But it could also be that maybe it's, like, the only control that he can really exert over what's happening. Yeah, like, this is in the margins that he doesn't specify who has the gun. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, that's really interesting. I just think like the, the the whole concept that sort of like there's this guy who shows up and he knows Alan's cell phone number and he knows how to call him and he has like orchestrates this entire thing uh, is like very tropey in the way that someone writing like a fictional story that's sort of uh, he's trying to work within like the, the realm of his literary knowledge. He's like, well, I'm going to write this story now where like we're going to avoid the supernatural stuff because now we're going to have a whole section where I think that my wife was kidnapped and like this dude who I met on the ferry is the one responsible for it. And, like it all wraps things up very nicely. I mean, later in the game, it is kind of introduced like, you know, the whole idea of him working. It, it, everybody here has played this at some point in the last 10 years. Yeah, spoilers. I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> so when it's revealed that like Emil Hartman and this guy are working together as a means of trying to make money off of Alan Wake, right? Like it kind of helps explain like why he would have Alan's cell phone information, right? Because if Emil Hartman had already yeah, had I completely forgot Alan's that phone. happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's like he, <laughs> so Emil Hartman would have access to you know Lee Salas's number, and it's very possible. Yeah, I mean Alan's that probably given all probably given there. Um, the ID, I feel like that's explained at some point. I don't rightly remember how that comes into play, though. Like, it's like, oh, didn't he, like, pick her, steal her wallet or some shit? Like, I don't know. Like, maybe on the ferry, because that's the only time I can really think of they would have had access to it. But I feel like that does get explained, but... Oh, that's crazy. I'm going to have to pay attention. Uh, I'm going to have to look out for that, because I don't remember that plot point, like, at all. But now that you're saying it, it's definitely reminding me of, like, some bad shit Emil Hartman does. Like, I could be making it up. I it's been years since I've played this, but I feel like that does happen. So I'm just going to run with it until I'm proven wrong. So I think, so after this, kind of you guys have the fight at, at Lover's Peak. Um, I guess, uh, kind of when Lover's Peak and Ryan or something, uh, Rusty mentions, hey, if you ever get lost below the radio tower, I don't know if there's any symbolism to that. It's like a beacon um, that something's uh, kind of flashing, or if it's more to help you geography. Geographically, if you get lost, like look up. Geographically, and... I think it actually does help a lot to sort of orient yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mean they they mentioned a conscious design goal in episode one, as they always in every level wanted the player to be able to see the goal uh, as 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 often as possible throughout the, mm-hmm. the completion of the level. So the first is like the lighthouse, and then you have the gas station, and then you have in this one right you know below the radio tower. I, I mean, I, I guess we'll see kind of how that goes. But that, I mean, I know that that was a game decision. Um, I, as far as like theme and narrative, um, I mean, it's it, follow the light is is pretty, pretty important. Yeah, I started off this conversation with I've been looking too much into everything. I need to take a step back. Shadows <laughs> on the ground and be like, what does this mean? <laughs> uh, but okay, so after that, the next big thing you hit is the uh, sawmill. Next big kind of set piece. I won't even say it's that big. So there's a there's a manuscript that you find. It's one of my favorite manuscript pages in the game because it's like a while before you get to the sawmill and it details sort of like 
the gun was heavy in my hand and I'm like exhausted and my breath is catching in my throat and all this stuff. And the last sentence is, that's when I heard the chainsaw. Yeah, I feel like that is such uh, a fucking it, good sentence uh, to end on. And then you're just like waiting for so long. Like, when is this chainsaw going to come? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's so brutal and so brilliant. Oh, man. Like, guys have chainsaws. It's ruined my life in every goddamn <laughs> game we play. It was a tough fight, too. Yeah. At least for me. I'm playing on Nightmare, so it's like it was a lot of uh, sort of managing like them running at you and then dodging and then trying to get them with the light for a couple seconds. I need, I need to play with subtitles on because I thought I heard one of the, the Taken say, like, beware the Widowmaker. Yeah, they do. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I just wasn't sure if I'm like just in my head about that and I forgot you can put subtitles on in this game. Well, yeah. I think that is that like the name of like the, the drop that you could run into? Because you're surrounded by like all these signs that are like drop warnings, like be careful you might slip and fall off this mountain or something. And like that's definitely something I could see like an area of a forest being called like a widowmaker if people have historically like fallen off that point before. Um, so, well, yeah. I don't remember the characters' names as well as you guys do, or like the story, to be honest. Like I'm going through and I'm kinda of discovering it. But when they said that, the first thing I thought it was the the woman of the darkness. She had the veil on. Yeah. Or, uh, the dark presence, yeah. So I wasn't sure if that was like referencing her or not. Oh, it could definitely be. I think but that's where my mind immediately goes as well, would be to her. Right. I think it's supposed to kind of be. I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't necessarily think it's supposed to be both. To be both, but I do like it as both because that's one. Of, that's what I thought too. Um, Beware the Widowmaker. I just looked up the way that it's written in the game, and it's one word. Um, so it's all one word, which would signify that it is the name of a place, um, as opposed to uh, hyphen, which would mean like um, that it's a, like a person, like or like a, a thing that's a maker of widows. Um, so I think it. I think that. Ben's saying that a Widowmaker Peak or, or something or falling off of a yeah. place is is supposed to be the uh, the intended. Um, that's also how I died during that fight. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's just my my experience coming into play. Yeah. Uh, and then also just just one quick note is that sometime before the fight in the in the sawmill is our first reference of Agent Nightingale. And it, it describes him taking like a shot at Alan yeah, Wake. And he's not a character we even end up, up meeting in this episode. So it's sort of like a, a long hint uh, towards a character we'll see in the future. Which, I mean, again, the way that they just like set up things to come, right? Like the foreshadowing they have throughout this entire game is just so well done. Also, there were like a hundred bear traps in that forest. Oh my gosh, I, ran, I, I, I was like, ooh, bear traps. Was like, ooh, more ammo. Ah, again, it got me. Yeah, like, <laughs> if you hate those bear traps. If you swing your light and it's and it's on the focus mode over them, they stay lit up on your yeah, screen. It looks like yeah. it looks like you're in a star field. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you, don't, you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to like worry about them after that. Like I had to pause oh, the game I, and look up the controls to figure out how to walk instead <laughs> of just running all the time, I, just so I can navigate the goddamn bear traps, man. I saw them. I everyone's while just be like, oh man, I really need that ammo. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we're in the sawmill. One thing interesting about the sawmill, at least for me, is it's the first time you see darkness on the ground. The black. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if that's just kind of like, hey, the darkness is getting sloppy, or maybe it's something about Alan's writing. Uh, you actually do see the darkness on the ground in the rusty attack. Do you? Okay. Yeah. You do see a couple spots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's and that is the plane before or after the mill? I can't remember. It's... 
It's it before. is before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, I know we'll that you see the, the spots plane. on the plane as well. Okay. All right, so I, I guess I just caught it then. But, uh, well, yeah, what do you guys think of the plane? I, I didn't write down that set piece. Oh, you heard it I crash, but it looked old. I love, I love that. I think it's, like, one of my favorite things in general. Uh, things taken out of place and time and put in, like, awkward places where they didn't exist is probably one of my favorite tropes ever. Um, I also think that it is a signal to the fact that he is, like... Either through the typewriter, obviously, or some sort of latent power is creating a world. Um, and sometimes there are going to be like hiccups uh, in like his creation. And so, you know, maybe he was thinking about an old plane, or maybe there's an old plane in like one of the old novels that like he just had in the back of his mind because like humans' minds are infallible, like, or they're fallible. And, you know, like it just happened. Like he's just like, oh, like I was thinking about a plane, now a plane exists because like I accidentally did that. The way I've always really seen that. it is it's a symbol of the Dark Presence trying to gain strength, right? And it also, I think, is establishing history of the Dark Presence, that she's been, or that it's been in this lake for a long time. Um, that other things have fallen into it. Maybe it was like, you know, a, a, I mean, obviously it crashed at some point and they'll be able to get there, but that it's trying to cough up, like the Presence is trying to cough up things that have been... Um, caught in it before as a means of like just trying to exert more control over reality. It's, it's starting to be able to affect things a little bit further outside of the confines where it was initially stuck, right? And that and that, that progression is shown throughout the entire course of the game, that there's, things are becoming more and more wiggity. The further out from the lake it goes, the stronger the presence gets. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think the plane is fantastic. I mean, like, it straight up looks like the plane from, uh, what was it, DuckTales? Or not DuckTales, uh, Tailspin Adventures. It reminds me of that quite a bit. I don't, I don't think it had pontoons. Maybe it uh, did. I don't remember. And I but. think that's on purpose, too. Um, there's there's another... I don't remember where I've heard this, so I can't tell you guys the, the proper quote. But there is one point where it's either Sam Lake or somebody else working on this game talks about how the Taken have, like, an Elmer Fudd reference where they, like, will jump out and say it's rabbit season. So, like, I do think that there is, like, somebody on the team who really enjoys, like, those types of cartoons. So I would not be surprised if that's, like, on purpose. If it is a Tailspin, or... <laughs> tailspin, yeah. Tailspin? It is Tailspin, I think, is the name of the cartoon, yeah. Uh, tailspin, there's a, uh, an episode that is also banned from television. It's about terrorism, like, blue <laughs> running into buildings right after 9-11. Oh, man. <laughs> Hot Tailspin uh, facts. Recording you can do. Oh man, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll post it after. Um, Damn, so lost. <laughs> you gotta play the game, Andy. Andy, you gotta play Alan Wake. You got it, man. Is, is this all you guys have been talking about for the past like fifteen minutes? Yeah, uh, hour. It's been hour. an hour. <laughs> well, I've been in here for like time we've done this. So. <laughs> this is the second episode. We're going through episode by episode. We're, we're probably talking as long as it takes to play the episode at this point. <laughs> we still got more. There's still more to talk about. It's a long episode. <laughs> there is. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I put in the chat, and I actually, yeah, you get me looking at everything. The white dress looked like Alice. May remind me of Alice in Wonderland. I don't know if there's any connections with that name. I think or that's definitely got to be intentional, right? The whole idea of going down the rabbit hole. Because that's essentially what's been happening this entire time. So I think that the connections between this and Alice in Wonderland are 100% intentional. Oh, I, I nailed something. This feels great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Remini is definitely, uh, like, they will. They are not afraid to name their characters on the nose. Like, Alan, Alan Wake's name is A-Wake. 
Yep. I am awake. Whoa. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like every like name I think they pick for a reason. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I can't believe I didn't catch that one. I'm glad we got that live. We got the recording. <laughs> We're yeah. coming to that realization. Don't worry. We'll, 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 we'll cut it out in post. We got this. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, you work to what? The Crows and Barry? Is that. No, so we actually have that whole driving sequence beforehand. Mm-hmm. Which is With the, the first, bathroom marker and the first driving sequence of the game. Oh, hey, whoa, uh, whoa! Before the drive-in, another Alan Wake video. Ooh, there when he, when he was in the bathroom. Yes, indeed. Oh, yeah, let me pull that one up. Uh, we can hear it real quick. say i fucking love that so so much it's um, really it's 100 true and i think that even uh stephen king in his book on writing i'm pretty sure that he says something right along the same lines like the characters are living breathing beings like you may have given them life but they start to take on characters it's their own and then you're no longer writing the story you're writing the characters and you have to be true to the character you 100 percent have, like, and the way that the characters are written will direct how the story kind of evolves. And I mean, like anybody that goes into writing something, like they might have a kind of outline in their head, but the story is always going to change based on what the characters are doing and how they evolve throughout the writing of them. A hundred percent, that's absolutely true, and I love love that so so much. I just really love the idea that he's like as he's writing the story, he's becoming more aware of sort of how he has to work within within the confines of. Not like what he wants to do, but what he has. So here we had an audio issue um, with Discord. So we're going to get a little break. You probably missed about a minute of discussion. Uh, Then we're going to hop right back into our conclusions for episode two, Taken. Okay. So we're going to have a little bit of a we're going to have a little bit of a of a lag. The stop function for GroovyBot will, will it stop Craig as well? It shouldn't because it didn't the first time. Okay. <laughs> <They did it. laughs> and I specifically made Craig's uh, semicolons as opposed yeah. to hyphens uh, yeah, for that reason. Very smart. Okay. Um, I don't know if we want to go back and talk about. I don't know when he when he got booted. I, I'm not sure. Either. It was something. It was sometime in, when when Ben was talking about. It's fine. We can we can move yeah. on. Andy said he's going to listen to it now that he realized that we we're recording. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, it makes me think there's a lot of like, is Alice real? Because it's, it's kind of like twice. If I stop, she dies. It was like, is, is this kind of like um, something he's chasing some sort of hope or some sort of thing that he he doesn't have? Well, her fate though, is in almost, a very metaphorical sense. 
her fate is almost deterministic at this point, right? Because if you assume that, it, like, he assumes that she's been taken by the darkness. Mm. Uh, so, like, his only option is to continue to write the story in hopes of finding some way to free her, because if he doesn't, then she dies. So it's sort of like, in a lot of ways, it's like that Night Springs episode of Quantum Suicide, where, like, he's making all these, deci- he's making all these decisions, and, like, he, has, he sort of has to keep the machine running as he's, as he's making all these changes to reality and stuff, sort of keeping things together, because if the machine unplugs, if he stops writing the story, then in all the reality, she's dead. Yeah, like at this point, like she's definitely real at the beginning of it and throughout the onset. She definitely does act as like that whole like motivating factor as to why he's doing what he's doing. Like he doesn't like really care about anything happening to anybody else. He just wants Alice back, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like at this point, if he stops going, then she's just gone forever, and he's never getting her back. So this, the idea here, what what I think is interesting, and and this is brings control in a little bit, um, and like the control files on Alan Wake, but there's a, there's a quote, and I, I just looked it up because I, I, I know I would misremember it, but he says in, in the control file, he says, for 10 years I've tried to run my escape, only seeking deeper, I used to know where the fiction ends and reality begins, here they're all the same, it's a hideous trap, my every thought made real, fear, desire, how can I ever know for sure if I've escaped and not lost in my own fantasy of it? That alone can drive me mad. And I think that that's an interesting idea too because like we don't know if that's true you know versus this because if if you believe what alan wake believes that like the typewriter and him are are actually exerting control over reality um i think that it is an interesting thought to say like yeah if i write my own escape out of it how do i know where my writing of my escape ends and like the actual reality outside of my writing begins because like you can't like it's you can't really know where that transition is like but just because of the way that like narrative words work you know like it's like really hard for him to know like where the end is um and where the beginning is and like when you actually escape which i think is an interesting idea too he's trying to write an escape for alice and like he doesn't know how because it's a book like it's not you know it's not like reality or it is reality and it's mixed in with it I definitely want to come back to this exact conversation at the end as well, because I think, I think what you're saying is very interesting, and I want to, like, revisit those exact words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I, that's more commenting on just the idea of, like, Alice, but yes, I think that there's a bigger conversation that could be had there. Um, so, yeah, we should write it down for episode six or seven. It will be. Did you note that one down, Ben? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so, yeah, we, you get in the car after finding another key in the bathroom, as Mike pointed out. Um, then I, th- I don't know, to me there wasn't anything kind of consequential about the drive. Sometimes about like um, the deer festival no. stuff like that. No, you can stop and get like a like a um, you can get a, a supply thing, and also uh, you can do the whole thing on foot if you want. Um, there's nothing forcing you to be in the car. Except those um, guys don't keep coming, and your game glitches and doesn't let you get back in the car, and it's very <laughs> stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like I, I'm pretty sure that there's at least one manuscript page you can get a uh, couple of thermoses and one stack of cans you can shoot. Which yeah, very, if, very, no, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say, if you guys haven't been shooting the cans, shoot the cans. It's, shooting it's cans a thing? I, I shot this Oh, yeah. One. Like the can pyramids? Like I think there's like an achievement if you shoot them all or something like that. But Oh, it triggered some sort of story thing or some sort of deep meaning. 
What are so the cans mean? You shoot cans. I'm knocking down my structure page. of society. <laughs> there was a manuscript page that I'm going to post that I found in that section uh, that was a little bit hard to find, so I'm going to post it in case you all haven't seen it before. But the it's one that was by the tunnel? Yeah. Okay. It says the dark presence had touched the girl to lure the writer into a trap. Now it was night, and he lay helpless, drugged, lit only by the flickering of the TV screen filled with static. Shadows coalesced in the room as the dark presence leaned close to the writer, ready to touch him again. Back to work, boy. And so this is uh, also, because you're at, near the end of this episode, you're starting to get uh, manuscripts about the next episode. So this was like a major, like, hey, there's some bad stuff coming. <laughs> Actually, I did miss that one on this. Like, and that's one thing that's kind of annoying. I think I missed like two manuscript pages from this chapter. Like, and I'm playing through it on normal, not Nightmare, because I'm going to play through it again on Nightmare with commentary after we've done this whole thing. Uh, but so I did miss that one. I actually forgot about that manuscript page because, again, it's been years since I played through it. But it's a very good four, one. I like all rows. Yeah. So I mean, you get through the you get through the the on or the driving section. Uh, you make your way mm -hmm. back to the cabin, and then you fight uh, just like the most annoying storm of crows that could ever possibly. Oh God. Yeah. Before you get up there, you see this on the rock. There was some other. Oh, let's see if. It, I may have to put it up. But there was some some stuff on the rocks in these episodes. I think one was reference to um, the woman and the veil. I keep for Bar Barbara Jagger, as you guys say. As you're walking up the berry, you see this one. You can post it. Mm -hmm. yep. This is darkness controls the taken. So not much here, uh, but just kind of just highlighting that there is stuff written. We don't know who wrote this, right? Are we assuming it's Alan Wake? Point, we we do know who wrote it. We don't find out till later. But there's another yeah. one of these in this chapter. I think it's uh, I, in like a shed. Wears her face. The darkness wears her face. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is so good because, I mean, like whoever did write this, because I mean, even Alan has said, I think in the first chapter, in the first slides, like somebody like left supplies here and knows more about what's going on than I do. And then we, when we do find out who it is, and the way that those connections are all made, it's just like just one of my favorite parts of the whole damn story. Episode four actually. is very good. Yeah, I don't remember, so I'm actually really excited to find out again. <laughs> I, I don't remember either. All these names you guys are slinging at me, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, totally. <laughs> I no, I remember I remember like plot theme and like the ideas. I rarely remember events. So yeah. I'm, like, I'm excited to like to dive back into what actually happens. To Ben's earlier point, those fucking birds, man. Fuck birds. <laughs> they are the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> they come so out of I nowhere. I try and dodge every damn time I hit that. I'm like, ah! I'm like, fuck, dodge. And they still just run. Where are they coming from? Like, why don't they ever stick around long enough for you to use a flare? And if you shoot the flare gun, they just like fly away randomly. You can't tell when they're gonna <laughs> get, actually get hit by the light and when they're not. It took me like seven minutes. I was just like ducking and uh, weaving through this fucking yard. And like, and the hitbox of the swarms is so inconsistent. Like, you can have the yeah, light fully like on like half the birds, circle. and it's like shifted to the right, and then it hits. You're like, oh, there's like four birds in the entire flock that you actually have to aim your light at, and, yeah. and they're always in a different spot. And it always <laughs> only affects the birds that are around them. <laughs> Man. Maybe this maybe in the commentary they say, This is just like every other game with birds. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but it is the first time you get the flare gun, which is also just like one of the most fun weapons in the game nope, to use. You do get you do get the flare gun in the first episode. Yeah, I got uh, it. It's in one of the contain like, like the, 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 the I never yeah. found that. 
Yeah, I got. I had one in prison. So. Yeah, you get the uh, and you get the hunting rifle something. in this in this episode as well. You do. Which yes. fucking racks? So good. Oh, ah, yeah. man. Uh, uh, real quick, just because crows are fun. Uh, crows have a bunch of like some symbolic meanings, like across different things, and I think pretty much every single one applies to Alan Wake. Uh, first, crows are harbingers which guide humans' uh, souls to the afterlife. The second, crows are uh, usually believed uh, to mean magic and mysteries. Um, they have a special energy that can cause deep transformations from the inside. Uh, crows represent wisdom. Uh, they represent an animal that helps you find out who you really are and what you can do with your life. Crows uh, help you discover your true identity, discover more about yourself and your own personality. And crows are omens of death, <laughs> which I think is really interesting. Like literally every meaning like, that, I, that I pulled up on the symbolism thing can be brought into the game. Well, and also to dive into some mythology, right? You've got, I mean, they're not crows, they're ravens, at least with Odin, right? Thought and memory, he has his two ravens to go out there. But, I mean, dark bird, I think the difference is in the beak somewhere. And then the Morgan uh, from Irish mythology, right? I'm pretty sure that her harbinger is crows. Um, and she is like the goddess of death and war and magic as well. And I mean, going back to Odin, like he's a god of magic, which is really unique for him anyway, because he's a man and usually magic is associated with women in Norse mythology. But so like, and, but just like the whole like concept of the Morgan in here, like makes you think like the Barbara Jagger might be kind of representation of that, but like a more twisted because Morgan can be good depending on what you believe. And I don't know. But and for to further your point, you also have uh, the twin brothers or the brothers Anderson in, in this story, Thor and Odin. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously, like you know, Remedy being a Norwegian game company, like they're very tied into it. I mean, like with reference to the Baba Yaga, uh, which is from Slavic mythology, um, they definitely have mythology in mind throughout this whole thing, and like deeper meanings that are brought from that, and a lot of influence from that as well, which I find very fun because I'm a nerd for that. Yeah. Cool. So what is next? Um, I don't know. Yeah, does anything happen? So you go in the cabin. Is that kind of it? Uh, yeah, they call so, the rooms. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Barry uh, does some research. Uh, Alan tries to write, but he finds that he, he can't figure out what to write next. Well, it's not just that. Like, in that scene, there's like a bright light, right? And he almost has like a flashback yeah, to he, the cabin. He clutches when his he opens head the like book. he's in physical pain. So my thought is that Maybe he just doesn't know what to write, but that he physically can't. That the dark presence is keeping him from being able to write anything else unless it's directly tied to the manuscript that she wants him to write. I think that maybe she knows that he has the ability to write changes in the reality, and so that she's physically opposing him, like by putting this kind of like, like mental mind block or like. It's like the same to... sort of uh, pain that he has throughout like the last couple epi- or the last two episodes, right? Where he'll get like flashbacks to the cabin. Yeah. But yeah, and then you get the call from Rose, who invites and you. Mike, to... you guys still there? Yeah. yeah. Yes. You're still there. I don't hear the other two. Oh, you don't hear me? You're back. Okay. Hi. Okay. I, I lost Adam. Adam, I lost you for 